Hey, this is Ty Shine, Sweet 16 guy. You're checking in with Left Coast Pirates, best number one podcast around. Seton Hall basketball, let's go. Horton will try to go all the way. Seconds to go down by two. Here's Whitehead guarded by Ochefu. Gets the step into the lane. Goes to the bucket. Layup. Rolls around and in. And a foul. Whitehead ties the game. Pow from Trenton. What Trenton makes, the world takes. From just west of the Ward Place Gate in San Diego, California. He is Mike Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tom Kaharski, class of 1997. And we are Left Coast Pirates. Happy Halloween, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Left Coast Pirates. It is October 31st, 2021, and we are five days away from Seton Hall men playing their first exhibition against Misericordia. Mikey, how are you today? What are you dressing up as? I'm not answering that question. That that's that's public. That's not public information. Oh, We're gonna keep come that on, here. Michael. No, I, I'm, I'm peanut butter and jelly. We got the peanut butter and jelly matching outfit with the wife, and I I couldn't even get peanut butter. Damn it! I got I got the jelly. <laughs> oh, she should have been the jelly because she's a lot sweeter than you are, Mike. No, no, she's she's the peanut butter. She's the glue that keeps it all together. I'm 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 the I'm the sticky mess in the relationship. I can't I can't argue with that, Mike. All right, but but I'm ready to go. I knocked back about twelve fun size Snicker bars before the kids showed up. On the trick-or-treating route, I got my sugar level through the roof to keep up with your energy for the whole entire hour plus for the season preview. Let's do this, Tommy. Are you ready to go? Oh, I'm always ready to go, Mike. I'm excited. We're less than a week away from kicking this off. All right. Well, well, you know me. I always have to try to create this like analogy with my opening monologue for the season that parallels Seton Hall basketball to like my everyday life. So Mikey, you're, you're... everything revolves around you. I know that your wife knows that your poor children know that I'm personalizing the podcast. Can you just let me do my thing, please? I'm Come sorry. on. I'll, I'll be quiet. I'll be quiet. All right. So, so here's what I got for you this time. This past summer, my family and I, we, we bought a new house. And to be honest, we, we didn't have to, right? You know, we had a very nice home. We were more than comfortable, but we had a couple of items on our little wish list that we wanted. So an opportunity presented itself and we just decided to go for it. You know, but with this new house, we had a vision, you know, and, and we understand that it's going to take some time, some hard work, you know, some some money, some time invested before we get to enjoy the reality of our dream home. But here's my biggest fear is that my wife hates me for making her and the kids live in this construction zone that we are in the middle of right now. You know, the whole relationship could end up blowing up before we even get to see the end results of this house. Now that brings me to the upcoming season because to me it it's feeling very similar, right? Coming into the summer, the program was at a point where you felt comfortable, you know, where it's at. You know, we're making NCAA tournaments consistently, finishing in the upper half of the Big East. You know, coming right in at number three, it feels like every season, and it's supposed to be a rebuilding year, and I'm I'm okay with that, right? You had Jared Rody coming back along with three promising freshmen to comprise Kevin Willard's 
best recruiting class all the way back to the Isaiah Whitehead group. Oh, then opportunities presented themselves. Willard gets to add three potential impact transfers. He invites back Bryce Aiken and Miles Kale to take advantage of the extra year of COVID eligibility. And now all of a sudden, it's not looked at as rebuilding year anymore. Right? The team has depth. The team has experienced talent. The team has a much larger ceiling that you want to get excited about. But it's going to take hard work. It's going to take time to develop that team chemistry, to develop that identity, to understand the roles that each player has to have in order to make this an NCAA tournament contender. And the fear is there's a lot of mouths to feed on this roster. Currently, you have now 14 scholarship athletes. And if Kevin Willard can't find a way to put it all together, it could end up in a messy divorce. Messy divorce? What are you talking about? Are you saying that if Kevin can't figure this out, Kevin's out the door? Is that what you're saying on a messy no, divorce? No, no, I was just trying to finish my analogy here. There's probably going to be like another team meeting somewhere in the middle of January, closed doors with no coaches allowed. Uh, we'll, I love team meetings. Love the team meetings. As long as we bring back alumni, you know, uh, Derek Gordon, we'll, we'll, we'll be all good. I can't argue with what you're saying here, you know, because, you know, we started off at the end of last season when we got these three recruits and you're like, oh, all right, you're kind of excitement, new blood. We're going to have guys that are going to be playing right away, four years of them. I'm excited. But then we get all these transfers. And now I don't know. It kind of feels like 2018-19 where I don't really know what to expect out of this team. You know, that that team had uh, a junior Miles Kale coming back and basically we didn't know what else was going to kind of fill out the rest of that roster, who was going to do what. And it kind of feels the same way. I mean, right now we'll get into it, but I mean, there's very few sure things on this roster and there's a whole lot of questions and we're going to get to that right there. See, I'm, I'm disappointing you already. It's the very first podcast of the season. I know we're in preseason mode also, but I just served you up a softball for the easiest transition segue into the next piece that we're going to talk about. I say that maybe we could have Derek Gordon come back as an alumni to handle the behind the scenes players only meeting. And we had, you had the opportunity to transition right into our alumni spotlight. You could have, you could have took that ball and run with it. What, what, what are you doing? Mikey, it wouldn't be us if we didn't butcher the transitions. It's what we do, man. Right. So, this week on the podcast, as Mikey mentioned, we're going to talk about the alumni spotlight. We're going to play a little game of trick or treat. We're going to go over and under. We're going to have our deep thoughts with Kevin Willard. We're going to take hot takes on the hot takes. And finally, we'll give our final predictions. So Mikey, as you ruined the intro. We're going to start up a new segment this year when appropriate called alumni spotlight. And there are a few things that we need to talk about as, as some alumni, some recent alumni have made some news out there in the world. I'm going to ask you to do what you do to me when I want to break down like the bubble. I mean, the bubble is like important stuff and you like limit me to two minutes. I'm giving you two minutes, no two problem. minutes for alumni spotlight. Go ahead. I'll take the two, two minutes. As everyone knows, Mamu started the season with the bucks. He was headed his way to the Wisconsin herd, but got called up once again. He's averaging 2.8 points per game, but most of those points came in a blowout loss against Miami where he scored 12. He who shall not be named, Miles Powell, is back with the Westchester Knicks. After signing and being waived by the Knicks, which is probably some sort of procedural thing, 
and the big man is back on continent. Romaro Gill returns and he's signed with the 905 Raptors. What was that, Mike? Minute 30? What happened? Uh, yeah, you know, I'm going to say two minutes, but I, I can't hold back. So here, here's my here's my take on your alumni spotlight. And I am a huge Sandro Mamukelish fan. Oh, wow. I just butchered his name. I just butchered Sandro Mamukelish. Really? How did I do that? Oh, my goodness. After we did that whole segment last year, people butchering his name. That's embarrassing. Uh, uh, needless to say, Sandro, great story. Fans are loving it. Fans are following him on rivals. They're talking about every time he gets into the game. I get it. We, we want to see our alumni be successful. We want to see him represent the program at the next level. But, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the bad guy here. Sandro playing, you know, towards the end of the bench in the Bucks rotation is not going to have a lasting impression on the 2022-2023 recruiting classes that we're trying to procure right now. I'll, I'll give you a name that helps land recruits where a guy's like, all right, I want to go develop under a coach. Mikhail Bridges just signed a five-year, $90 million extension. When I watched Mikhail Bridges at Villanova, I liked the kid, great player. I'm like, hey, maybe his game projects to a three and D type NBA uh, level. I wanted him for the Knicks instead of Kevin Knox. And then a couple of years later, boom, big contract. That's the kind of recruit. That's the kind of player development. That's the kind of NBA success that you go into someone else's living room and you say, have your son come to my program. Right. Am I wrong? And here I was worried we were going to be in preseason form. But Mikey, you're in stretch run glass half empty form, Mike. I'm impressed with you. Just trying to keep it real. I I want Sandro to have a great NBA career. And if if that happens. Can you not be happy for a moment that the kid, your boy. I'm not picking on Sandro. I'm picking on everybody else who's over. I'm picking on everybody else who's overhyping it again as always. I'm sorry. Oh, you should have gotten a couple more of those kid sized Snickers bars. Anyway, Mike, considering that it's Halloween, And considering we're always trying to figure out new ways of covering things or bringing out content to folks, let's play a little game of trick or treat. We're going to go through and make a few statements and we're going to decide whether they are tricks or whether they are treats. You think you're ready with this, Michael? I'm assuming trick means it doesn't work out and treat means it's it's a positive. Yes, Michael. That's how it usually works when you knock on that door and say trick or treat and they scare you as opposed to give you a piece of candy. But that is exactly how we do it. So, Mike, I'm going to throw one to you first. Kevin Willard will have his deepest roster during his entire tenure as coach at Seton Hall this year. I'm going to go treat. I'll give you a whole bunch of reasons why. He's got 14 scholarship players, right? I mean, we're probably not going to use all 14, but he's got 14 at his disposal. You normally only have 13 per NCAA uh, regulations. He's got two super COVID seniors in Miles Kale and Bryce Aiken. He has Ike Biagu as a returning grad senior. He's got Jared Roden, first team, all Big East preseason selection by the coaches. He has potentially eight different guys that can make a claim for a starting lineup spot. I know you're going to debate me on this later on in the podcast as to who your starting five is, but eight guys right now have a claim to be in that rotation or at least have their name called as the opening five uh, on opening night. 
And that does not even include Trey Jackson and the three fresh. And people talk about, oh, but, but, but it's not as deep as the 2016 Big East Tournament Championship team. Well, let me, let me rewind. That team only went seven deep. And I'm sorry, Tommy, I'm not giving Veer Singh any credit for being a part of that rotation. Oh, you're killing me. The guy that could have had the best nickname in basketball. Veer left, Veer right, Veer from downtown. I'm not even touching that. 2019-2020, Co-Big East Championship team. People say that could have been the deepest team or should be the deepest team in this argument. They went nine deep. And Tyrese and Ike were only 11 minutes per game in that nine-man rotation. Felt like they had a bigger impact, but they were really kind of like, you know, end of the bench rotation guys on a particular night as well. You know, outside of Jared Roden, I could see a bunch of guys logging anywhere between 15 to 25 minutes. So yeah, I absolutely think this is the deepest team that he has. He's going to have to figure it out, but the depth is there. You're definitely looking at this with a glass half full mentality, Mike. I'm very proud of you. Uh, there is a lot of potential. And, but there's got to be a lot of questions answered to actually say that this was as deep as those teams that you mentioned. But fine, I'll go with you. I'll, I'll, I, I won't disagree. It is a treat. All right, so I, I think the depth starts right at the top. So I'll, I'll throw the next one to you. Trick or treat, Jared Roden is a first-team All-Big East caliber player. I throw you this softball of a question, and this is what you toss back at me. This should be now, an easy one. This no, should be no, an easy no, one. You, you would think. You would think, but I, I, I'm going to spin it a little bit. You know, I, I, I'll tell you, at first, I love all these guys that get uh, honored in the preseason, but the honor is not great enough, so they take offense. And, like, you know, the what was it? The Athletic came out, or was it the Atlantic came out? It was the Athletic. No, it was the Athletic. It, it, so the Athletic comes out with its, you know, all Big East preseason teams, and Rodin gets listed as second team all big east and he's tweeting what an insult how oh we're gonna see how this goes or some something like that oh like you weren't chosen to any of the teams last year and now they're saying yes you're gonna be one of the best top 12 players in the league he was honorable mention of it. honorable mention oh, that's he... honorable mention what one guy says hi yeah but here's here's what i think does jared Roden have the skill set to become first team all big east Absolutely. But I'm going to look at it in a different manner. And I'm going to go a little bit early to a quote that Coach Willard had during media day. And they were asking for the differences in Roden this year. And he says, I really say this. I don't think this team's going to have a guy. I think we're deep enough where there's going to be two or three guys. I think the biggest difference between this year and years before is he doesn't have that pressure to where he has to be the guy. It's just that we're too old, we're too deep, and there's not going to be the one guy in the team. So with that being said, is he going to have the opportunities to get his numbers high enough to be included in that kind of first team talk? That's going to be the interest point right there. If he's if he's just one of the guys or one of the two or three guys, we're not going to – are you going to tell me that we're going to have two or three guys on the first team all Big East? Probably not. 
So I think it depends on the development and how much truth is in that statement. Do I think he's got the ability? Sure. So I'm going to go with treat. But I wouldn't be shocked if it wasn't a trick. <laughs> Wait, you played the fence on the first question. <laughs> you know, so I'll, I'm going to come back. I'm going to give you a little bit of rebuttal. I'll play the fence both ways as well. I mean, you, you take the quote from Willard. You can go back to teams in the Big East like, you know, a Trayvon Blewett to me is more of like a Jared Roden type player. Doesn't have to have the ball in his hands the entire time. Doesn't have to be the dynamic personality on the court. You know, he had JP McCura. He had Edmund Sumner that one year, but he still was, you know, a dynamic player who finished first team all big East because with all the other attention, the players on the floor, he was able to get his own and not have to command double and triple teams. Like a player like Sandro had to do last year or miles Powell before that. So I think the depth around Roden could be a positive for him. You know, he's not chump change. Here's a guy who was the returning leading scorer for the team at 14.9 points per game. He averaged almost seven boards. And his last five games, he really made a statement. He comes out and averages over 16 plus, including that 19 point performance to go along with 16 rebounds in the quarterfinals versus St. John's in the Big East tournament when everybody thought Seton Hall was basically, you know, done and dead at that point in the season. And he steps up and has a first team all big East type performance and takes over that game down the stretch. And he's got the attitude, right? I mean, you might not like him getting all annoyed about the athletic report, putting him on second team and putting it out there on Twitter and playing these social media games, but you want a guy to have an attitude, you know, that like, I'm going to get what I got to get because the heck with the rest of you, I want that guy on my team. Don't you? Right. I, I, I think it's all played out. I think that's the natural reaction from everybody. Hey, I think you're the fourth best player in the league. Oh, I'm going to show you I'm the third best player. I, it's that's all played out, man. Well, that's Take better the, than that's better than him going. You're right. I'm the seventh. I'm going to, I'm going to backtrack. No, just off of let that. it I mean, come go on. and let, let it go and let your play speak for itself. Enough of this. It's nonsense. I'll have some more fun with this. Have you seen his body? He, he is like ripped this year. The, the, the team's all taking like pictures in the preseason with like the alumni coming back and they're all got their practice jersey on. Every shot Roden's like shirtless with like literally a six pack that's just like ripped. Like he's a, like Arnold Schwarzenegger bodybuilding competition. He is a specimen. I, I do. I do want to say that that's the way you want your athletes looking. All right, but, but I'll, I'll play the other side of the coin quickly here as well. I, I think there's a potential opportunity for some trick here and that's no knock on Jared. You know, in those same five games, he did only shoot 20% from three-point range. You know, he only shot 30% for the entire season. He needs to improve that. You can't shoot sub-30% and be first-team All-Big East. He had a one-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio at two per game. I'd like to see him clean that up a little bit. And then the team, you know, might, like you said, it, they, they might be so more balanced that you know, maybe his numbers do kind of, I'm not saying fall off, but maybe they don't jump off the page per se. I'm torn on that one. I, 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 I hate giving you credit early on, but that was a good point. Mikey, I, I'm going to have to mark that up. Mikey gives me a good point. That's, that's, that's one for my column here. You know, so we're talking about all the help he's going to get, all the possible guys that are going to take that next step. I'm going to throw you the next one. Trick or treat, Kadari Richmond will lead this team as the next potential NBA prospect on this roster. All right. And you, hold on. Oh, no, there's more than that. Hold is an end. Sorry. Oh, well, you know, it wouldn't be me if I didn't take a shot at the coach of that team from upstate New York. You know, that little school up there. Uh, you know, instead of taking high road, uh, Jim Beheim 
basically becomes, you know, exactly what we, we think he is. And he had this to say about Kadari Richmond, his former player. I think he played more minutes this year than I should have played in because of conditioning and because of all that. There's been much made about that. He said he was restricted. He was never restricted here on the court in anything except three-point shooting when he was shooting 10% from three. I told him not to take threes. That was the only restriction put on him this year. <laughs> oh, man. I, and I know you hate Syracuse, so I mean, this is right up your alley. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I totally feel that Bayheim is a bitter curmudgeon. But, but let's dissect his, his three-point his three, uh, comments here. In his first 11 games, Kadari did shoot only 14%. By the end of the season, he did get the number up. He was up to 33%, but he only made seven three-pointers for the entire season on 21 attempts. I mean, you're not getting drafted early to the NBA if you can't shoot the ball unless you're that dynamic of a point guard like one of the ball brothers, right? And for, I like Kadari so far. So I'm going, it sounds like I'm talking trick here. But but Kadari does not have that ball on a string like those kind of guys. So I'm going to go back and, and talk about like what you said, what I saw back in the day. Remember Eugene Harvey as a sure, freshman? Sure. The guy was dynamic and he quick as hell. He could break anybody down off the dribble and got to the basket at will until teams were like, wait a minute, this guy can't shoot. And they started playing off of him. And then, I mean, I've seen Kadari shoot. He's not as bad as Eugene. No offense to Eugene, but Eugene had almost like a, a two-handed, a two-handed like chest shot for his three-pointer where he didn't I, even I, get I, off the ground, right? I, I don't think Eugene's coming on the show next summer. I wanted Mike. Eugene Thanks. next summer. I wanted Eugene. Uh, but, but I got to talk the truth here, right? You, Eugene had more of a set jump shot, and he really didn't get much elevation or even get much of a, the ball up over his head. But they played off of him, so he could get that shot off. He didn't really shoot it that well still. If Kadari is not going to be respected by the defense, he's going to lose that quick, elusive first step that's going to get him into the paint, that's going to collapse the defense and get other guys open looks. So here's Bayheim saying, I didn't restrict him, but you took away one of the most important elements of his game for him to work on and get better to become this dynamic point guard. Ah, but it's important. If he doesn't develop that part of the game, yeah, that's a trick. You're not, you're not an NBA prospect if you can't shoot the basketball. I'm sorry. But that doesn't mean that I devalue the import, importance of Kadari for this team's success. He is a true point guard. How many times we've we been saying this team needs a true point guard? I think maybe that's why we got so overhyped about Anthony Nelson and we had this love affair for Anthony. He was supposed to be the true pass first point guard, right? I, I'm still a big fan. I still love myself some Anthony Nelson. And But this team has missed that sorely. We can go down the list and you can praise what Shavar did how Casey made the transition, what Isaiah developed into what you got out of a Madison Jones or a Quincy McKnight, but none of those guys, not one was still a natural point guard, Tommy. They're just not. So I'm excited, but, but can I once again, just pump the brakes? Here's a kid who was a transfer who averaged six points and three assists. And we are putting him on a pedestal that is so monumental that he might not be able to live up to that expectation. And do I need to remind you of the last Syracuse transfer that didn't live up to expectations? Oh, why, Mikey, why do we gotta bring up Portorian? Why? Can, 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 can we can we see Kadari transition into his role before we start putting the Torian Thompson expectations on him? 
second second best player on the team. He's the one who's going to help us get back to the dance alongside Miles Powell. He's going to, hey, he had nine points a game as a freshman at Syracuse. That's going to extrapolate like 27 at Seton Hall. I mean, can we just stop? I bet the fans love him, though. I bet they get big. I'm, uh, I'm excited. Bet, bet he gets I'm good excited. reactions. I'm excited. But before you start saying just because he's got six, five oh. NBA measurables at the point guard spot, he's not a one and done kid yet. I hope he has a great year. I hope he puts himself in that conversation because that means Seton Hall has had a phenomenal year if he plays that way. But man, not there yet. So it sounds like you're saying trick at that one. So, okay. I, I, I'm, I'm hedged. I hedged a little bit. You hedged on Jared. I'm hedging a little bit on Kadari. I, oh, I just, I, Mike, I don't Mike like is- the. I, I, lo- I like him. I'm excited. I don't like the NBA hype. I don't like this one and done stuff. Like, let the kid play first. All right, Tom, I'll, I'll throw it back to you. And you, you feel like you're taking shots at me early on where you said preseason form. No, midseason four, baby. Let's just let's just keep rolling. I'm going to hit you where it hurts the most. The return of Miles Kale and Bryce Aiken for a fifth COVID year will be a net positive for the program. Go ahead. Defend your boy, Miles, right out of the gate. Oh, ouch, baby. This one's going to hurt. All right. So for one, let, 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 let's break this up a little bit. I refuse to answer any Bryce Aiken questions. I'm not talking about it. I want to see him healthy. I want to see him play before I hear anything. If I hear you tell me how much different this team's going to be with Bryce Aiken in the rotation, I'm going to it's I'm going to pull my hair out. But, but a healthy I'm, Bryce Aiken. But a healthy Bryce but Aiken. A, but a healthy Bryce Aiken. Now, you know, there is not a bigger Miles Kale fanboy than myself. I've said that a million times on this podcast. But in all seriousness, does not the return of Miles and Bryce kind of create a logjam where we thought younger players were going to have an opportunity to get their legs underneath them? I mean, we're going we're gonna to argue about the, the starting lineup later. We're going to argue about rotations later. But is it not? I, it, it's kind of baffling. I, and I know they just came out with an article in, in the Star-Ledger about Miles saying, Last year, he didn't finish the way he felt right or something of that nature. But I am just, I was shocked, shocked when I saw these two guys coming back for the COVID year. And I'm not sure that it's going to bring enough positive back to justify this. Well, I mean, they're not coming back because they're not talented players. I mean, Willard, essentially, we don't have this in writing, but he felt like he pushed Shavar and Tikal out the door relative to what their role was going to be on this team. So to actually invite Bryce and Miles back says that he has a, a spot. He has a significant role for these guys to contribute to this team's success. And because of that, we're going to play this game of rotations and who's going to have opportunities. And I don't see where the three freshmen are going to have many minutes available based on the, what, what Kale and Bryce are going to eat up, what, give or take about 40 minutes combined? Well, you, you got to look at it. I mean, Miles is, you know, I've got him penciled in at the starting two. He's probably going to back up a little bit of three behind Jared when he needs a blow. You know, Bryce is technically a point guard, even though he's a shoot first point guard. So his, his, his style is probably more attuned to the two guards. So, I mean, that's going to take up minutes from there. So, yes, I mean, th- this team's really got to overachieve, I think, for this return. Okay, to so, take to to take uh, a positive uh, form. So I'm gonna ask you that question. Then I I do think them coming back makes the team better. I mean that's without a doubt. 
Sure. But how, but how much better, right? It's because inalienating the freshmen and potentially limiting their minutes could put them at risk of, in today's day and age, exploring the transfer portal after their freshman year. I mean, that's a scary thought, but that's the reality of how the game is played nowadays. So based on that, what would be an acceptable result for the team to justify bringing them on and potentially maybe losing one or two of these kids that are your freshman foundation for next year and beyond to the transfer portal? How, how deep of a, a run does this team have to make? Or does even getting back to the NCAA tournament justify the result? So in this day and age, it's like, what have you done for me lately? I'll take big time results over uh, development down the road every day of the week. I think this team has to get into the second weekend for this to be justified. We've gotten into the tournament. We've gotten to that second weekend once in the past six years. Second weekend and all is forgiven. All is all the potential development of the younger kids is out the window. You get me to the second weekend where there's only 16 teams playing, Michael. And good job, Kevin. We're going to say predictions for the end of the, the, the podcast, but that's, that's just not a fair expectation. If you ask me to get to the second weekend, realistically, you want to be somewhere in the four five or six seed to sit there and say, we got a we got a potential shot, right? You win your first round game that you should be favored in. A four or five matchup should be kind of a toss up. In today's day and age, depending on how you know the parity plays out across the country, a three six matchup could even be on even footing. And most most of the times, it's not. You, so you're you telling me to get to the second thing. weekend. To get to the second weekend, you think this team is going to be a four to six seed potentially because no, anything you, you didn't ask me for predictions mike you asked me what would be an acceptable result oh, okay so then, so then i'm going to push back and say do you think it's realistic that this team with them coming back is a second weekend of the tournament type program right now mike mikey you got to keep them on the hook we'll talk about that later on you can't mike you you can't show the end result right away mike you gotta you gotta wait for the dang, cliffhanger. Dang, dangle dangle the carrot. It's the go cliffhanger, ahead. Mikey. Uh, okay. Cliffhanger. I, I think you're off your rocker and we're only into like the first segment, but go ahead. Mikey, I've always been off my rocker. You know that. Okay. So we went back. I said I, you know, a, another qualified trick, I think, over there. So, Mike, I've got one for you. Trick or treat. Tyree Samuel finally has the breakout season we all thought he was going to have last season. I, we, there, we have positives, right? I feel like we've been mixing in some positives in some of these conversations, but you keep on saying the end result is trick. Here's another trick for me, though. That, that, that's the problem here, right? I feel like the, we're piling on the negativity early. Let's not do that. But I got it. I got one more trick for you. And I'm not saying it can't happen, but Tyrese, in order to have that breakout season, he's got to prove it to me at this point. He's got to prove me that the first two seasons, we were wrong about evaluating his performance right? The assertiveness, the drive, that aggression is going to have to change. It's just, it's lacking in his game. And, and for two seasons, we haven't seen that attribute consistently. You see it in flashes. You see Kevin Willard trying to push him out of his comfort zone by sending him to media day along with Kale and Roden and, and Obiagu to be like, Hey, I, I think you're going to be an important piece. I'm sending you media day, you know, break out of your shell here. But last year, right? At the four or five spot, there were just three guys competing for those minutes. It was him, it was Sandro, and it was Ike. And he logged 17 minutes a game. 
Now I understand Sandro's all everything last year, right? But 17 minutes, Sandro could have used a blow. Ike wasn't dominating every game. 17 minutes. He shot 30% from the free throw line. I'm sorry, that, that just doesn't cut it. There's no upside on 30% free throw shooting other than it just can't get, go from worse to miserable. I mean, I, that, that is miserable. I, I was going to say, I think 30% is miserable, Mike. Now this season, he has to compete with Ike, Trey Jackson, Alexis Yetna for those minutes. And we might even see Willard go a little small ball four once in a while as he moves Roden over to the four. So we're going to have this big breakout performance, but the way that the stars are aligned this year, were not as favorable as they were last year. So like I said, until he proves it to me, I'm going to say, no, I'm going to say it's a little bit of a trick here. And, and if he, if he proves me wrong, once again, like Kadari being all NBA, watch out for this team. Watch out. I, I'm going to go with treat Mike. I'm going to just say this. And, and you know, at the end of last year, we were, wondering why he wasn't playing more minutes because he was having good games at the end of last year i mean i I believe there was a butler game where he scored six points in the first half uh, and and then didn't see any time in the second half and it's just like it's a head scratcher wondering why is he not out there again i mean it's not like he was dominating things don't get me wrong i'm not saying he was showing these flashes of domination that the guys couldn't hang with him but he was putting in good minutes but I'm gonna do this, Mike. I'm gonna go a little TMZ on you. I'm gonna do a little. Kevin Willard is sending you a message, Mike. They took Tyrese to media day, Mike. You you don't just take anybody to media day. You take you take your starters to media day. You take He's, your starters to media I, day. I'm just saying, Tyrese is a junior and he went to media day. I'm just saying. He also called him an underclassman. I. Did. <laughs> <laughs> all right all right so trick-or-treat that was that was some fun though mike we had some good topics here let's continue on but let's play a little different of a game let's go with over under everybody knows the concept uh you know it's a very much a, a gambling concept we're gonna give you a number and mikey it's over under and, and and let's see where we go with this okay i'll play along as always hit me all right Eight wins in the non-conference schedule. <sighs> Eight wins. Let's let's put it into context first. Let, let's give the let's give the listening audience what the schedule is. Right, you got home to open up against FDU, followed by another home matchup against Yale, away at Michigan, who's ranked sixth in the preseason polls. That's the Big East. That's the Dave Gavitt uh, matchup, right? Yep. Then you have the uh, Thanksgiving tournament. They open up in a neutral site against Ohio State, top twenty-five, currently seventeenth in the preseason predictions. And then depending on how things play out, you get Florida or Cal. And I think the tournament's somewhere down in Florida too, right? So you could, um, I can't recall. But... So I think you could end up being playing Florida somewhere in their backyard, which would not be easy. You come back for a little bit of a cupcake uh, slate. You got Bethune cook Wagner Nyack college, which for the record is a D two matchup. So it will not count towards your RPI uh, Ken Palm metrics, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then they gear up for a monster home slate, Texas, which is currently fifth in the country, loads of talent and a bunch of big time transfers that followed Chris Beard to Texas. And then you have the Super Bowl of New Jersey, right? You got the, the Rutgers matchup. The, the Boardwalk Classic is back on, uh, back at the Rock. And Rutgers, I want to slight them here. They did receive some votes in the AP poll. And then you have that neutral matchup that Slick Rick was able to kind of 
get Willard into last year with that little home and home matchup. That was more of a home and neutral site matchup that will take place at the garden. So there there's your non-conference slate, 11 games on uh, one that includes a D two matchup. Okay. Just to clarify the uh, Thanksgiving tournament, it's going to be in Fort Myers, not exactly close to where uh, Florida plays its games, but it's not exactly that far. It's, not, it's, it's in the not state of Florida. They, it's in the state of Florida, it's though. Not is where it they not? Hang, it's not where they hang their head. This is not me saying Tommy Abinker went back to the Midwest again before, and I got my whole roots wrong with Duke, right? I got or, my geography right or, this time, didn't or, I? Or, or, or Sterling Gibbs saying he didn't want to go to Maryland because it was too far and ends up in Texas. All right. Uh, I think this is easy. It's so easy to predict a eight and three here, which is why you pick over under eight. You know, you're making this difficult, right? You could easily see a split at the holiday tournament. You could see a split of that home slate between Texas and Rutgers in that same week. And it would be no shame to go at Michigan for the third game of the season and lose to a top 10 team. So there's three losses that puts you at eight and three. It's like, come on. All right. So I got, I got to decide, do they overachieve or do they disappoint? I'm, I'm flipping this back to you. You set up this question. I'm, I'm throwing it back. I want to hear what you got first. I'm tossing it back to you. Hey, what, what is this? You, I'm copping out. I, I'm copping out. I want to oh, oh, so, see what you got for me first. Go ahead. You're such a cop out, Mike. Mike, I, I'm going to have to go under. I, I can see this team in general and, and without giving up, uh, giving away uh, the story at, at the end of the program, I see this team struggling at first and getting better as the year goes along. But you've got a lot of tough games coming up right at the go you already mentioned them michigan ohio state florida or cal texas Rutgers. these are going to be really tough games and even if you look at this and say you know they're going to win the games they're supposed to win this is this is going to be rough on an untested team that's got more questions than answers I'm going to go under here, Mike. All right, good, because now I don't feel so bad. I mean, like I said, I, I think it's eight and three, but if I got to pick over or under that number, it's more realistic that they probably go a seven and four versus pulling off some major upsets and not stubbing their toe anywhere along the way. Like you said, it's a very challenging non-conference slate. And I'm not just talking about the marquee matchups. I'm talking about going beyond those couple games. You look at Yale, the second game out of the, uh, out of the gate, and they're picked to finish second in the Ivy League. Most Ivy League teams are very well-disciplined ball clubs. I could see a team like Seton Hall maybe be a little disjointed early on and, and kind of get picked off by a Yale because they play a solid fundamental game of basketball and they just catch the Pirates on a night where they're not shooting well. And it just becomes this like, you know, execution battle that we just don't pull out. And then on top of that, we, we joking about the, the Rick Patino matchup, but here's Iona, who is a unanimous coach's preseason favorite to win the MAC. And they're playing at the garden and you're going up against an all-time coach. I mean, they know each other really well, obviously, but that's going to be no picnic. So besides, you know, pulling off two upsets, I could see them losing one of these two games and being on the wrong side of that, that eight win total. But, but eight and three to me, feels, feels like the right number. Wow. I, I'll tell you what, uh, you know, not to be negative Nancy over here, I'd be more shocked to see them go eight and three, then I would go in six and five. I could be see more shot. You can see them going six and five. Really? I, I could see stubbing your toe. Like I said, I think they're going to be a team that kind of gets better at age. Let's call this the wine team. You, you let the wine sit a little bit. You let it develop its flavor. 
I, I think this team is going to be better at the end of the season than it's going to be at the beginning of the yeah, season. Yeah, but you could say that for Texas probably. I know Texas is loaded with talent, but maybe they don't put it together right away and you get a, a juiced-up rock and, you know, you've had these three cupcake games so you're prepping leading up to that game. Boom, you knock off Texas. I, that, I, I could see that happening, but then there's this over, uh, you know, uh, emotional outpour to win that game. Do you have a letdown against Rutgers? Texas is like a month into the season, Mike. Yeah, but it's still early. It's it's still early. You know, I'm, you, it's, you I'm just saying. Me, you tell me we're going to go to Ann Arbor and possibly knock off Michigan. No, nah, no. Nah, nah. As a third game of the season. <laughs> not, I, not feeling, not feeling that one. Sorry. I, I don't see Texas with Chris Beard coming into town being stubbing their toe. A month into the season. I just don't see it. My point is just kind of keeping the roller coaster. I mean, keeping the momentum going. You, you win that game against Ohio State and you're getting Florida in the state of Florida, potentially. That's not, I'll be super excited if they walk away with a split, knocking off a top 25 Ohio State and then play a competitive game against Florida. I'd be ecstatic. But to say I'm going to win both of those games and put yourself on the upper end of this projection, I just don't think that's realistic. To sit there and say they're going to win both games at the Rock that week. It'd be fantastic, but that's not realistic, right? No, probably not. Okay. All right. I, I feel like we're hating here, man. It's not cool. All right, move on. All right. Like, here, here's the next one. All right. 32% from three-point range was the team's field goal percentage from deep in the 2020-2021 season. Over or under what this team shoots this year relative to that 32%. So I, I'm going to hedge my bets again, and I'm going to say... No, we got, we got to stop this, right? We got to stop I, with the hedging of bets on over-unders. We came up with the definitive first. subject matter, and we're not even sticking to it. I, all right, we're gonna go, I'm going to go over with this, but I don't think it's going to be much over. I don't see this happening, uh, you know, 34% maybe. You know, there is a whole lot of potential... But that in a quarter these days can't even get your phone call at a phone booth, Mikey. You don't I think mean, Jameer like, Harris is going to blow up this number? You don't think Jameer Harris is going to blow up this number? I am cautiously optimistic with Jameer Harris. I know a lot of people are talking a big game about Jameer Harris, especially after he averaged 20 points a game last year. But let's let's reel it back a little bit. I feel like I need to reel everybody else back like I reel you back normally. And let's really take a look at Jameer Harris, a fabulous shooter. I think he started off his career at Minnesota, didn't work out. He probably just didn't like that cold weather. Head down to American, sat out a year. In his junior year, in 30 games, he averaged almost 11 points a game. Senior year, he averaged 20 points, and everyone's just loving that number. But take a look at that number. They played... 10 games, Michael, and take those 10 games. They played four, four against Navy, three against Loyola, Maryland, and two against Bucknell. Mikey, these are not top quality teams. You didn't listen to You've the got, question. You didn't listen I'm to the question. I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. So as he might be a great shooter and a great scorer, He's now going to have to contend with Big East defenses. And I don't think he's going to get as many clear shots at the basket. Then we also have Kale, who has flip-flopped throughout his career. Are we going to get the consistency out of Kale from deep or that we haven't gotten? You've already talked about Rodin needing to shoot better from deep. I did. I did. 
Hey, hey, Jim Bam, settle down over there with the grumpiness over there. You said over. You said over, but I, I did. Holy moly. I, I think it will get will get slightly over last year's three point percentage. I don't think by a whole lot. So you're basically saying last year's number was pretty bad, which which 32 percent in the volume of three pointers shot in today's game is not good. And if they shoot 33 or 34, I'm not impressed with that number going over. I think it's going to be much better. And once again, I said you didn't listen to the question. I you're you're picking the question, Mike. You're picking on Jameer Harris. I'm not picking on Jameer and, Harris. And, and let me let me take a, a couple words here now. You talked about the amount of points per game he scored against lesser competition. We're talking just about his three point shooting percentage, and will it help this team relative to that that element of the offense? So Harris, for his entire career, has shot 39.6 percent. He has taken 333 three pointers from Minnesota and competition at American. And last year he shoots 43.8. So I honestly think that he is going to have that translate because you're going to have a guy like Kadari breaking down the D, getting guys open shots. And he should be one of those guys that benefits from that. I also think there's a little bit of addition by subtraction. I mean, I was a big fan of the call but I did say of all the elements of his game that I was skeptical about was his three point shooting because they moved the line back and he was like a 29% shooter at Canisius. And what happened to call shot 20% from the three point line. So as much as I'm a big fan of to call to call, not shooting three pointers for this team next year should bring that number up. And yes, make fun of me all you want. A healthy Bryce Aiken will probably shoot better than 27% when the guy was prior to last year, a 35% three point shooter for his career. Come on, Tom, Mike, you've got questions at the starting point guard of whether they could shoot three pointers. You've got questions at the two, whether you can get consistency out of there. You've got questions at the three, whether Jared Roden's going to shoot a better percentage and you're still giving him way over. I, I, I I'm, I, 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 I think it's going to be a collective effort of more, more options offensively that teams cannot hone in on Sandro, Kale, and Roden. Those guys each took about 140 attempts from three-point range last year, really contributed to this number. They've all shot around between 30 to 34%. And if you remember, a lot of those threes were very deep. They were contested. They were kind of forced one-on-one moves a lot. I think you're going to see, hopefully, a little more cohesive Offensive basketball due to that point guard play. So I think Kadari has this opportunity to be that pass for his point guard. I don't think that means it takes him to the NBA, but yes, I think you're going to see a massive trickle down effect of what that does to the offense. And then when Bryce comes in, he's going to have that change of pace quickness. He can maybe score off, off the dribble a little bit, and he's going to get his, his looks a little bit better than what we saw last year between the combination of Shavar and injured Bryce and Jahari Long. I, I just do. All right, I'm going to lob you a nice fat meatball here, Mikey. Eight rebounds per game for Alexis Yetna. Over, under. Over. That's an easy one. You're right. That's an easy one. I mean, I like the guy. But I'm I'm reading press clippings again, right? All ACC Rookie of the Year back in 2018-19. Tommy averaged nine and a half rebounds per game, 3.3 on the offensive side. And I just got to get him above eight. I understand he missed the following year to injury. He came back, he averaged nine and a half points, 7.3 on the boards a game, and that, that you know minimized 16-game season. But I totally feel that something like rebounding is one of those stats that just translates, right? 
I mean, he's already had 20 games in his career of double-digit rebounds out of the 52 that he's played, highlighted by 17 against Georgetown during that freshman season. I mean, and he's got – he's another guy with a body that you're just like, I'm impressed, right? He's athletic from all the videos that I've watched, and he's 6'8", 234. You think Tyrese is, like, chiseled at his 6'10", 234, and this guy has it all packed into two inches smaller. I mean, his neck in the, in the team photos, you're like, wow, this, you're not moving this guy out of the block when he goes to rebound. And, and he could step it out on the offensive side, which we're not talking about right now. But I totally agree that he's going to be able to beat that number. And I'll give you a couple of little side notes that I researched. I think you like this, right? We always have that little bugaboo against the Paul. But guess what? He went off for 26 and 13 versus the Paul. And the guy also had a 28 and 13 game during his career as well. Tom, Tyrese, he's going to get pushed. He's going to get pushed. Yeah, I, I think Alexis is going to grab his boards. I think rebounding translates. Uh, you know, he's going to, he's, he's a, he looks like a beast. He's going to stick that butt out, box out, and grab some boards. I, I don't think this is even a hard one to say. Although I, I will say eight, eight's a big number. We'll, we'll have to see how many minutes. Sandro averaged like almost eight, and you basically poo poo Sandro the entire time he does that. I, yeah, Sandro also played 34, 35 minutes a game. I don't think, uh, I don't think Yetna's getting that that many minutes. Ooh, that should have been the question. Over under minutes for for Yetna on the season. I, I think he gets closer to thirty more than you realize this year. How about that? All right. Well, we'll see. But we both think over. All right. Yeah. So wasn't that fun, Mikey? We're getting warmed up, but I'm, I'm I had fun. That was good. You're only a little warmed up. So I, why don't we go to what I know is your favorite segment? And now deep thoughts with Kevin Willard. It, it was relatively quiet uh, uh, summer for Kevin. You know, the previous year with the whole COVID thing, he was jumping on podcasts left and right. But we only have a few things uh, that Coach said this year that we can actually even look at and pick apart. I don't know. I'm, I'm feeling a little like... Well, you know, that's that's because he you know, did the, this DC Coaches podcast early in May, and then the news about Miles Powell breaks, and then it's complete radio silence. He wasn't going on some fun-loving podcast in the middle of summer with nothing else going on in the basketball world and being subjected to being asked that question because you have to ask that question if you're a reporter or you're anybody who's doing a respectable show if Kevin Willard's on your on your podcast or on your broadcast. So he was going to get hit with the Miles Powell question. I don't blame the Seton Hall PR team that kind of kept him behind the scenes this summer. It makes sense, but yes, that kind of limits the amount of fun we could have with the segment. All right, but but first, before we get into what he said during that podcast, let, let's warm up, let's stretch, and let's go back to the old favorite, Kevin complaining about the start of the Piggies schedule. He did an interview with Jerry Carino, and he said the following. I'm not happy with my Piggies schedule. I think it's one of the worst ones we've had. I'm not happy with all the late December games in the Big East. It's not fair to the kids. We play a neutral site game on December 18th and then have a one-day turnaround for St. John's and playing on December 23rd and then December 29th puts you at a competitive disadvantage. We have to give these guys three days off for Christmas break and then we have to play on the road two days later? We don't have a chance to get into a rhythm and, a, and practice. All right, here we go. Here we go. I got I to gotta pick coach apart here. 
It's the exact same situation for St. John's and DePaul, who are our opponents in those first two games. They have the final matchup in their non-conference on that Thursday, followed up by a Saturday game two days later. We play St. John's to open. DePaul plays another team in the Big East. I forget who that is. And then we come back a couple days later, and we play DePaul. So normally when Kevin is lining up the inadequacies of the schedule, he's complaining about how his team had a grueling, you know, three games in seven days while the other team is coming off their bye week and we're on the road for that matchup. And it was just like the, the deck was stacked against them. The Big East did the right thing here. If we're talking about shorter turnaround times or less preparation time, each opponent in those situations is facing the same variable. How is that unfair? And then does Kevin completely ignore the fact that two day, a, a day prior on the 28th of December, when there's four games in the Big East on the 29th, that two other teams in the Big East, I think it's Georgetown plays at Creighton and UConn plays at Xavier on December 28th. So he's complaining that they only have three days turnaround time before they got to play that next Big East game. Georgetown and UConn both have to go on the road with only two days off. Did you find the Patrick Ewing quote that complained about the Big East screwing them? I, I missed that one. Where is it? I just go play the games. You're going to get faced with challenges. I, I know they are student athletes. I know there's some unique rules they have to follow, but we said this over and over again. It's a bit of a business, right? This should be the expectation of some of these quirky travels and quick turnaround times. He put most of the guys on this roster through a four game in seven day experience in four different locations last year. Did he not prepare them for the one-off unique elements of the schedule? I don't like it already, Tom. I don't like it already. You know, and I know the women's and the men's teams are in different places, uh, but I, I think I'll go with Coach Pizzella's. We'll play whoever's in front of us, and we don't care about it, how we're scheduled. So uh, we'll leave it at that. Now, wait, 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 wait. If there was something he should have complained about, he should have complained about the fact that his home schedule in the Big East Conference is front-loaded. They have in their first three games at the Rock, St. John's, Nova, and UConn. So we're all talking about kind of getting your feet wet, getting your legs under you, build up to that big showdown. They got to play the big boys right out of the gate at the rock. If they were to kind of stub their toes or miss those opportunities, I'm not sure where they're going to get their big, big East wins outside of coming up with some major upsets on the road. But I will say this, Kevin ignored the fact that he has once again, a very favorable uh, set of games down the home stretch. Five games, three at home, DePaul, Butler, Georgetown, at Xavier, at Creighton. Don't you feel like they should at least be favored in four out of those five games? Well, the, the road will be tough. Uh, at Xavier, at Creighton, that's going to be you well, know, challenges. Team, challenges, be challenges, but okay. But, but yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a nice back end to that season. I mean, you should be able to develop a, a, a little bit of a momentum going into the Big like East tournament. like we had a pretty easy back end of the schedule last year, though. Oh, Mikey, stay positive. Stay positive. <laughs> so you did mention DC Coaches Podcast over the summer. Uh, and Kevin had this to say, which was, I think, pretty interesting as well. The first problem with, the, with, with giving everyone a free, a free way to transfer is now you have 13 eligible guys. And as Coach Williams and as Coach Patsos will tell you, Having 13 eligible guys on your roster is impossible. You can't play 13 guys. The great thing about 
The great thing about the sit-out year was, A, you knew that kid was going to be able to graduate because even if he didn't transfer all his credits, he was able to catch up for a year and then actually get ahead and maybe start his master's, which most, most kids did. So you, had, you didn't have any eligibility issues. We're going to have a slew of a slew of eligibility issues. You're going to see kids not graduate at a record record rate because if you transfer from American University and you come to Seton Hall, all those credits aren't aren't meshed. And now all of a sudden he's eligible right away, but he doesn't have time to catch up. Secondly, you're going to have another whole wave of transfers because you have 13 kids on the roster and you play eight, maybe nine. I mean, Leonard Hamilton is the exception. I, I love <laughs> Leonard because I don't know how Leonard does it, but he play, he plays eleven. He's like my he hero. In the first half, he plays. <laughs> so let's let's forget about the the easy comments that every coach and every announcer says about worried about these kids graduating. There, stop that, okay? Yeah, yeah, you know, I, oh, these credits won't transfer. I, I'm so start treating the players like big boys. If they're not worried about the credit transfer, and you shouldn't either. Now, wait, he said he had a problem with eligibility. I'm sorry, but eligibility and graduation are not the same, right? They'll be eligible to play when they transferred, but when their playing time is up, he's alluding to the fact that maybe they haven't completed enough courses to get their degree. He's not going to have a problem with the eligibility while they're, you know, while they have their academic progress and can play on the court at the same time. He's making a point about what's going to happen after they leave the men's program versus do they get that degree? But that doesn't equate. That that doesn't make sense. Yeah. It's, I I don't, I think that's a false flag that people like to uh, bring up when they're talking about the whole transfer thing. Okay. What I am more concerned about is him saying you could only play with eight or nine players. And when we look at this team and you've already said it, Mike, you already feel like there are eight guys that should be jockeying for starting positions potentially. This is going to be a real problem because here are the players that I think have real rotational potential on this team. And we'll break it down by position. At the point, you've got Richmond and, and a healthy Aiken. At the two, you got Kale and Harris. At the small forward, you've got Roden. And I'll tell you what, you're going to have to figure out how to put Weston in there a little bit. At the power forward, that's a log jam right there. You've got Samuel. You got Yetna. You got Trey Jackson, who everybody in this preseason has been just talking about like he's like this great next guy coming around. Gushing. I mean, we got, we got people gushing. gushing thank you. Gushing. I couldn't get the word out of my mouth. At center, you've got Ike. Mike, that's 10 players I've mentioned right there. And what's left? You got Ryan Conway, who we thought was going to be like the next point guard for the team at the end of the last season. You got Jahari Long, who's coming off a knee injury. What's he going to do? Now you got four guys potentially playing point guard. You got our boy, the true left coast pirate, Tyler Powell. Hey, once again, a lot of reports saying they like what Tyler's doing. Who's a beast physically. Six foot six, so he's a little short, but he's like a power forward with that body. And then he got our friend Joe Smith, who just came in at the end of the... uh... We're going to try to break down most of the guys in this podcast. Let's just be honest. Joe Smith is raw. Joe Smith is probably going to ultimately be a a red shirt this year. Joe is probably not going to see the court. If you're only playing eight or nine guys, Mike... 
No, I, I mean, like Joe is Joe is not going to get to see garbage time against like a Wagner. I think he's going to specifically do a Romaro Gill and not put him on the court whatsoever and get a full red shirt year out of Joe Smith. Well, so, we'll we, we shall see. I haven't I haven't seen any reports. About but, but, that, actually, but that but that still gets but, you down to 13 guys. But right. Let's not worry about Joe Smith, though. Right, okay, right. You know, but I, I had to bring him up just to be, you know, for completeness sake, you know, unlike some people. But this is a problem. If you were only playing with eight or nine guys, you're going to have a lot of guys who are going to be like, what about me? I don't disagree. I, I think we talked about it before. We we already had this conversation a little bit with the Kale and Aiken returning for that fifth year COVID year and, you know, what the ceiling of the team could be. Here's the offshoot, right? The offshoot is in this little rotation that you broke down. I don't see where the freshmen fit in unless one of them jumps off the chart and earns playing time at it, you know, whether it be from practice or it be an early non-conference game or maybe somebody gets hurt. I, I don't know. So you have depth from that perspective, but Willard has never liked to go more than eight or nine guys. And he, in that quote, or in that little snippet that you gave, he was just like, I don't even want to touch nine. I don't even want to touch nine. So I, I, I don't know. I'm really concerned about where do the freshmen get to make their impact? And then does that have a lingering effect for the following year? For, forget about freshmen for a second. Trey Jackson, does he make the cut? Everyone's gushing about him. But does he make the cut? I don't know. He's like, well, he's like ninth on that list, right? I don't know. It's, it's I don't tough. Know. I mean, my, my other concern is then also, you know, what does that do for players that you end up trying to recruit? Does that take us off the radar for bigger high school targets? And I, if we had listened to the rest of that segment, I know it went for a couple more minutes, but on the back end, Willard was kind of complaining about like, how do you keep these freshmen happy? And then do you even bother going after high school kids? Well, I mean, we've gotten a couple guys already for the 2022 class, and they're not big splashes. I'm not saying they can't be good players, but you got Jameer Harris's younger brother, Jaquan Harris, another point guard, three stars, but he was only ranked by 24-7 recruiting services at 188. And then they kind of picked up an under-the-radar guy, another three-star recruit, Percy Daniels, that was ranked 216 by the same recruiting services. I mean, those are not home run type recruits that we were getting excited about when you landed a Weston, a Conway, a Tyler Powell, all guys inside the top 125 and a Weston being a top 100. I mean, if you don't play the kids, how do you attract the talent? Are we going to become transfer you? Are we going to get all the guys that we finished second or third in the recruiting battles for to come back on the rebound? I, I don't know. Yeah, That's what it kind of sounds like we're trending, right? But is that the way college basketball is going, though? I mean, is it safer? Is it a safer bet to see guys that maybe go to different schools and and not fit in? And I'm okay with the transfer portal. Everyone freaks out about the transfer portal. Leave a situation that's not good for you. Put the onus back on the coaching staff to make sure they explain to you how you're going to be worked. But, but, maybe but I'll, tell you, I'll, a- I'll say this, though. If you're that good and your talent is that apparent, and you're at another program, shouldn't the coaches also recognize that and find a way to make sure that you're not going to transfer? You're going to get enough minutes to want to come back the next season? And if not, there's some. There's always going to be a little doubt and red flag of, well, what didn't work out? Was it a logjam of minutes? Was it a player's attitude? Was it his work ethic? You know. And, and once again, we've seen some really great transfers come to Seton Hall, but we kind of sweep under the rug all the ones that didn't work out. And there's a lot that don't work out. And, and that could be a problem too. 
You know, I mean, you could make the same argument for high school recruiting. Hey, you get all these top 100 recruits or top 200 recruits. Some are going to work out, some are not. But I'll take my chances on the young talent developing from day one in my program. And I'm excited about this year's team, but this trend is going away from that. Well, all Mike, right, Tom. Mike, uh, that's, uh, that kind of sounds like a little bit of a hot take. And Mike, we don't do hot takes here, but what we're going to do. We're going to bash them, aren't we? We're going to bash a few hot takes. <laughs> Maybe not. You know what? Maybe not bash. Maybe we're going to agree with them. Okay. We're going to right. take, we're going to take hot takes on some hot takes. We've been listening to other folks, podcasts, interviews, et cetera. And we've heard some things that kind of have caught our attention. Uh, and you know, the first one we've heard uh, is from a podcast that folks should be listening to if they're big uh, NCAA basketball fans called three man weave. You fan of the three man wave, Mikey? You you turned me on to it. it. It's good. It's good. I mean, I, I'm more of a fan of LCP. What do you want me to say? I, I, fall, <laughs> I fall asleep listening to her own podcast, right? Don't, don't tell people that. That's where they're going to think that that's where we get our numbers from. But anyway, as the three man weave was doing a preview of the Big East, here's an interesting tidbit we heard. Probably going to have some scoring droughts again, uh, although this team might be a better shooting team than UConn. Uh, and they are highly leveraged on Richmond after Shavar Reynolds transferred. If he is not ready to be like a key backcourt cog for them, somebody that creates shots and really draws defensive attention with his drives, then they could have some, some real offensive problems too. Now, Mikey, normally we always joke around when people come out and say things about Seton Hall, we always say, do they really even watch the games? <laughs> I think these guys have seen us because certainly Seton Hall has gone through some offensive droughts in the past few years. Don't, don't you agree with that hot take? I, I thought that was pretty much spot on, right? It, it all comes back to the point guard play again. And they didn't you know, pick on Shavar, but last year when the offense bogged down, it was because of lack of dribble pen penetration at the point guard spot. It's a lot of passing the ball around the perimeter. I think we highlighted that uh, throughout numerous episodes last year. And the expectation is that Kadari is going to create a new dynamic for them at the point guard. And if he doesn't, and it's kind of the, their hot take, you will see scoring droughts, which is why I think that, you know, you're going to see Bryce come in as the backup point guard in most situations to keep that energy level up, to keep that attacking style at the point guard play. I'd like to see uh, Ryan Conway get a shot. I'm not saying Jahari doesn't deserve it, but coming off of a knee injury for the last three months, you know, off of his performance from last year, that's not his element of his game that I saw. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with this take, don't you? Yeah, I don't think it's a bad take. Um, I do think Kadari is going to be able to uh, take guys off the dribble, which is going to kind of help with those droughts. I, I, I think he's going to get us into an offense or get us easier shots because that's part of the problem we had last year. Uh, you know, uh, we didn't have that point guard that could say, all right, I'm going to take this off the dribble. I'm going to make a basket for myself, or I'm going to get someone else an easy shot when, say, the three isn't dropping. Well, and a lot of the reports are that he makes some eye-popping passes in practice or in some of these scrimmages, and I think it's because he's got that 6'5 height element that allows him to see over the defense and maybe kind of uh, have some different vision on the court that you might have got not gotten from a diminutive point guard. You know, I, what was Shavar? He was like a 6'1". You know, Bryce is kind of small. I mean, we haven't had really a tall point guard. I keep on coming back to this. We were excited about Anthony Nelson, who I believe was 6'4". Having that point guard that could kind of see over the defense, 
that's kind of tantalizing. So coming back to Kadari again, really excited. Just don't want to set the bar too high. We also heard interesting things on College Basketball Central with Kevin Sweeney and Brad Cavallero. Uh, they had some comments about Jared Roden. You know, you mentioned Roden. Great that he averaged 15 points a game. But the reason why no one realizes he averaged 15 a game is he's really not that good a score. You know, he can get one. He can make a tough shot. But he is not, you know, if you're in a, you know, if you're in a, a big spot in the game, two minutes left, 130 to go, tie, tie game, whatever, you need a bucket. Do you feel at all comfortable being like, here you go, Jared Roden, go get one, please? I don't. And I think that's the that's the that's the the thing that limits the ceiling. <laughs> so you're getting upset because Jared Roden goes on Twitter because he doesn't get picked uh, to be first team all Big East by the Athletic. If I'm Jared Roden, I hear something like this, I'm I'm pissed off. I'm getting on Twitter and I'm getting angry. No, I mean yeah. this guy just completely lambasted him here. No, I I I think. It's almost like this guy saying that Jared is like a product of a program, you know, like, like a product of a system where like, it's like he gets all of his points on backdoor cuts in the Princeton offense or something. Eh, this is Cavallaro that said that I think Brad's out of his mind. I, I think Jared has shown that he can go out and get his basket. And I think he's at the point where. He's going to he's gonna do it more frequently now. I think we've been spoiled, though, right? So people who have casually watched Seton Hall, you've seen Whitehead. You've seen KC. You've seen Miles Powell. You saw Sandro last year. That's a pretty extended run of guys that were going to – Kevin's like, here's the ball, and we're going to facilitate the offense through my alpha. Didn't have to be my point guard, but here's my guy that I'm going to give the ball and make it happen. I, I think there are people that are out there that are still question – that element of Jared's game where it's like under two minutes to go, no questions asked, clear out, give the ball to Jared. He's the most athletic guy on the floor and he's going to get his. I think that's the kind of point that he's trying to make. He didn't really say it in a really respectful way. He basically trashed his entire game and making the comment, which is wrong. But I think that's what he was trying to kind of, you know, express in what he was describing. So 30 seconds to go, one possession down by one, are you okay with Kevin clearing out one side of the floor and saying, Jerry, go beat your guy? I, I, I'm okay with it. I think this is what he's worked for. I think out of, uh, t tell me who else has made leaps from year to year like this. No, no, this is not about bashing uh, no, no, what, no, no, what Jared no. has done. He's, he's been no, great. No, no, no. What I'm saying is, is I think he's got that next level that he can reach. I don't, I don't think we've seen okay. the That's best like Sandra. Jared Kind of like Sandra, right? He's progressed right. from, uh, okay. Uh, absolutely. Say, you know, I was going to say Sandro's probably, I mean, you don't have to think back too far. However, <laughs> it's still, he has made, he was like this super utility hands everywhere guy in his freshman year where he was like grabbing a board, sticking, slapping a ball away, grab, you know, putting a basket in and he's improved every single year. I, I, I said it back in the day. I Trayvon blew it. Trayvon Blewett is, I mean, Trayvon Blewett's an all first Big East performer for numerous seasons, you know, all American type player. So, I mean, I'm, I'm giving him some high praise here, but his style of game reminds me of a Trayvon Blewett at the end of a ball game. Did the ball go to Trayvon Blewett? You got, you gave the ball to Edmund Sumner and got out of the way. JP Procura had the balls to take the big shot. That doesn't mean that Blewett didn't want the ball or never took a big shot. 
that's not where I'm going here. I think you're going to be surprised. I think down the stretch of a game in a close ball game, the ball is not going to start in Jared's hand. It doesn't mean that he's not going to end up with the final shot. I think the offense is going to be facilitated by Jameer Harris and it's going to be facilitated by Katari Richmond. And to a lesser extent, oh my to, to a lesser extent, Jameer go ahead, beat me up. Ha- you said Jameer Harris first. Oh, you are out of your mind, Mike. And to a lesser extent, Bryce Aiken. I think those three guys can contribute and dribble, uh, create off the dribble to initiate the offense, whether get their own or break down the defense late in the game. I probably wouldn't isolate Jared. I would let one of those guys create and collapse the defense. I would. We can only hope Jameer Harris is half the guy that you've made him out to be. I said he's going to shoot. He's going to be useful. I think he's going to be useful. And now you've got him being the guy with the ball in his hand. You're, you're, you're move over, Kadaria Richards, Richmond. I've got Jameer Harris, my guy. I think the guy wants it. I think the guy's going to oh. want the ball down the stretch. I, I do. I do. I, I'm, I, I mean, I hope, I, I hope I, he doesn't I, make I, me. I hope he's not to call Molson part two. I can't go through a whole nother season of that. I'm not going to let you do that to me, but I'm hoping. I mean, I like his attitude. I like his bravado. I, I like what I watched on the on the highlight video from and, American. And, you, and you've watched him of all 45 seconds of the highlight video from the blue and white game. I, I like okay. I like me some Jameer Harris. I like uh, uh, Harris. Uh, let's wrap this up. Our good friend John Fanta on the field of 68 had some interesting comments of his own. For Seton Hall, you know, you brought up Obiagu, Yetna, and Samuel. Those guys aren't necessarily great on the offensive end of the floor like they're not going to give you a lot of buckets this team is disrupted defensively in the front court they need to hash out they have guys like they have a room that's full of different guys uh in their backcourt they have to hash out the what their best seven man rotation is and I think that that's the key to finding out how good you are sometimes if you're playing eight or nine it means that you have some more question marks on your team than you have answers and you're still playing it around all right tommy so we're we're struggling with nine and johnny just got us down to seven (laughs) i mean this is not going to be easy i mean everyone's got their own philosophy as to what constitutes a successful roster and i get it it happens in the nba you pare down your rotation cup playoff time Normally, when you get to the NCAA tournament, you start riding your horses and trusting you, you know, the guys that have, you know, been through, you know, the, the wars with you at that point, And you're probably going to get away from your freshmen. But did I not watch a team last year that won the entire damn thing in Baylor, essentially play 10 guys, stay fresh and run that Gonzaga team up and down the floor that was dominating teams across the country? and made them look stupid because they just ran wave after wave of talent at them. And then throughout that tournament, it wasn't just Davion Mitchell winning every game for them. Different guys stepped up on different nights to have the big performance throughout the tournament. Why can't that be this team? Why can't it be 10 guys? I I don't expect it to be 10 or 11, but why can't it have more depth in the rotation? Why does it have to get pared down to seven or eight guys? I, I think if you're a Nova, if you're a Duke, and you've got four or five five-star, borderline five-star recruits on your team every year, you may be able to get away with a seven-man rotation. I don't know that what we end up having can afford that. I think you end up having to use more guys. I think I, I, I don't know that it's that hard. I think you have to bring in more guys when you don't have as much talent 
on the on the front end. I it always comes back to identity. We're always typically starting these season previews with like, what's the identity going to be of this team? Like you, you talk about Mike Anderson at St. John's, and you know that they want to push the pace and run up and down the floor. So it's going to be more conducive to playing a deeper roster. You know, you got Leonard Hamilton. You you, you know, you got uh, Scott Drew over at Baylor that we just that we just talked about. What is Seton Hall's identity? We always kind of get stuck in this conundrum every year of like, are they going to push the pace? Last year, we're like, hey, they got to push the pace. And they didn't last year. Now, what's, what's the identity of this team going to be? Is it going to win the games on the defensive end? Are they going to outscore you? Are they going to evolve from the three-point line? We've talked about a lot throughout this preseason uh, preview here. We haven't really identified anything about what we know is a definitive yes for this team. All right, so so let's let's do that right now. Let, let, let's end up, let's put a bow on this by talking about who do we think is going to start, how they're going to do in the Big East, and how they're going to do overall. You know, Mike, this team, I think, identity-wise for Seton Hall, it always starts on the defensive end. And this year, with the kind of talent they've got in the places, I think you're going to see a faster-paced team. Now, does that mean they're going to run like – you know, out the gate, no, but I think they're going to run a lot more than we've seen in the past. And so, with that in mind, let me tell you my starting five before you get all sorts of blasphemous on this podcast. I'm not going to agree with you. I'll tell you right now. Whatever you, whatever you throw out next, I'm not agreeing with. I think Kadari's going to be the starting point, obviously. I, all right, I agree with that. Coming in at two, there is no way Kevin Willard is not going to start Miles Kale. There is no way it's going to happen. There is no way that he brings him to media day and gushes about him and talks about how he's been to four media days now and he never misses a practice. And I could just throw him out there on anybody and he'll guard them. He never complains. You're not putting him on the bench. Obviously, Jared Roden's going to be the three. I am going to tell you right now, I think my man Tyrese is going to start at the four and Ike's going to be the five. That is, I don't see the new guys coming in right away and, and taking starting positions. I can be convinced about Yetna, but that is your starting five in five nights against Miser Recordia. You're not out in left field. I mean, you're not. I mean, there's, there's nobody that would look at that starting lineup and go, you're off your rocker. Richmond is the starting point guard, period. Bryce was brought back with his injury issues and being told, you're going to be one of my offensive microwave guys off the bench. And I think if he's having a, an electric night, you're going to roll the dice like he had the night against Creighton at the Rock. But I, I don't think he supplants Richmond. Richmond left Syracuse for PT. He's not coming to Seton Hall <laughs> to, to, to back up Bryce for this one year. It's just not happening. So I think where everyone is in agreement that Kadari Richmond is your starting point guard, I think you start getting into debates the minute we get to the two. I think Harris could be your starting two. There's a lot of arguments to say he could come off the bench and be another offensive microwave guy like Aiken off the bench. But I'll make the argument conversely and say, here's why he should start. I think he's a better balance to Kadari. Kadari's 6'5". Harris is 6'2". Probably going to give up a little more on the defensive end with Harris versus Kale. But Kadari's strength is, is defense. So now you, you kind of balance the two together. If you start uh, Kale and Richmond together, you're going a offensive-focused backcourt off the bench, both that are undersized, 
and both that are liabilities potentially on the defensive end, even though early reports say Harris is playing well defensively. So I think there's a better pairing with Harris versus Richmond, regardless of what Kale offers or brings to the table or how much Willard loves him. You also brought in Harris to woo his brother to come. So there's some po- there could be some politics there. I-, I do. And if Kale is so in tune with Kevin Willard and he's not going to start any fights or have any problems, coming off the bench is not going to mess with the chemistry. You don't know the conversation that he had with Willard about coming back. Maybe it was you're coming back in a support role. We don't know. So I'm, I'm going to go Harris. I think it should be Harris. Would not be shocked if it's Kale. Roden automatic at the three. If Yetna is playing the way that he was playing as prior, prior to his injury, his all ACC or his all AAC freshman year, rookie of the year, nine and a half boards a game, and we think he's going to go eight plus, you think he's getting eight plus a game off the bench? You agreed. You said that was a slam dunk. No-brainer, eight-plus rebounds a game, and he's going to do it off of bench minutes? I think he's going to – I think you're going to be surprised. I think he's going to be in the – backing up the five as well as the four. Okay. And he's okay. going to get a lot of minutes out there, especially when you go start playing those teams that have those positionless basketball teams that you love so much. I think it makes more sense that Yetna starts at the four, and then after you sub Ike out, Yetna could slide over to the five and Tyrese gets his minutes and Tyrese gets plenty of minutes, but it might make more sense from a balance perspective that Yetna and Ike pair up so that you can slide Yetna over because if you're bringing in Yetna to back up Samuels, who are you bringing in to back up Ike? You can't come in to back up both of them. TMZ, Mike, I'm telling you, Will is trying to tell you something. I, I get it. It's, it look, the, <laughs> the message is out there. So I, I didn't say you're off your rocker. I could totally see it, but. If it were me, my starting five would be Richmond, Harris, Roden, Yetna, and Ike. And everybody else has a right to earn their starting spot. And maybe they've already had these battles in the in practice and in the preseason. Because once again, I haven't seen Harris or Yetna play at the biggies level. Who the heck do I know? But all the prognostication, all the reports out of practice are that these guys look the part of starters. Their numbers say that they're starters. Their post-grad leadership says they should be starters. I'm going Richmond, Harris, Roden, Yetna, and Ike, and I'll throw a caveat and say if they don't start, I'm going to give you my to call Molson spin from last year. They're going to play the bulk of the minutes down the stretch in games because I think that's his best rotation. Okay, Mikey. Let's talk about what the re- the team does as a whole. And I'm going to, since you love talking about your personal life, I'm going to add a little note of mine. So my youngest and I are have just started to train for the past about three, four weeks for what is known as the rack out here, the ride across California. It's a seven day bike ride going from the Colorado River right on the other side of the border from Yuma all the way out to the coast. My youngest is a good bicycle rider. However, she's having a hard time with the hills. She's having a hard time with the distances. But I'm seeing development every week. She's getting a little stronger, a little stronger. And I got to think back to my middle child that I did this with, and she was the same way. And by the end of the training and the start of the ride across California, she was a beast. She had improved her bike riding skill. She had improved her strength and her endurance. And I see similar things happening with this team if everything breaks the right way. That being said... 
They're going to be a whole lot better on the back end than the front end. I see them breaking down like this. I see them going seven and four in the uh, in the out of conference. I you know I can't say that I don't see something better than an eleven and nine in conference. That just smells right for this team. That just feels right. And Mike, you, and history tells you anything? That's almost about the record that they get every single year, Mike. Take yep. out the take out yep. Miles Powell's senior year. And that's about where they lend up. Ten and eight, ten and eight, nine and nine. Yeah. Regardless, regardless of the talent level. It's mind numbing. I think they're gonna need a big run in the Big East tournament to make the big dance. With that being said, I think it's gonna be a lot, they're gonna be a lot better later than they are in the front. I see them knocking off a couple teams during the Big East schedule that they probably shouldn't beat, but I also see them stubbing their toe. That's where I'm at. I'm looking at, you know, 17 and 13, not counting the Nyack game, because as you so uh, intuitively brought up previously, that that doesn't count because they're Division Two. They got to make a run, a big run in the Big East tournament to make the NCAA tournament. See, your, your, math, see. your math is off, though. If they're 17 and 13, backing out the Nyack win, which would have been 18, you got to win the Big East tournament. That's a big run, baby. That's Kevin Willard back up, back up against the wall, right? Backs up against the wall. We're a bubble team. We've been on the bubble team for the past 25 years, right, Mike? All right, but that's not a bubble team. That is like you're on the outside looking in. So I'll go one better with my prediction. I think they get to that eight and three non-conference. Like I said, realistically, probably more of a seven and four if we had to pick, but they could do a nine and two. I think they fall eight and three in that non-conference. I think they're going to do a little bit better. I think they're going to possibly struggle with Nova, lose those two. I think you take care of the DePaul game, the DePaul games. I think you're going to split with UConn and St. John's. And then in the remaining group, I think they can do like an eight and four. So I, I project them to possibly be a 12 and eight in Big East play. I think your Providences, your Creightons, your Marquettes, uh, Xavier, Butler. I think we're better than those teams. Or some of those teams have some talent that might be better than us coming down the uh, down the road in about a year or two. But very young team. I don't want to mess with Shaka Smart in about a year or two. I don't want to mess with with uh, Coach McDermott and that monster recruiting class that he landed. But this particular year, I feel like they're going to be ahead of the curve relative to those programs. So I'll put them at twelve and eight in conference play, somewhere around fourth. You combine that with the eight and three non-conference. You back out the Nyack win. And that puts us at 19 and 11. So I'm going to put them kind of right on the bubble. But it really is going to depend on kind of how you add up their resume in terms of what wins they find. You know, if they were to lose to a Michigan, Ohio State, Texas, Nova, and potentially UConn both times, you could be 0-7 in all your marquee games and still find yourself at that 12-8 and conference record that eight and three overall in the non-conference and 19 and 11 in relativity, relativity to your NCA resume. And if you're Owen seven in all your marquee games, but you got wins against St. John's and Rutgers, is that going to be enough? So I think they're going to be competitive. I think they're going to be right there. I don't think they're going to be anywhere from a four to a six. I think they're going to be in their traditional, 
you know, eight to 11 range or right there on the bubble. But it'd be exciting to see, could they get over the hump and string together four or five marquee wins that they didn't find last year? And if they did that, and if other things broke a certain way, yeah, maybe the ceiling's a little bit higher. Maybe they get some favorable seating in the NCAA tournament and a second weekend is not out of the realm of possibility. Tony Bazella said it on his podcast. You get real excited about teams in the NCAA tournament when they have a lot of strength in their backcourt. And in today's game, a player like Roden gets confused on a couple of write-ups as even being a guard, right? Which I thought was ridiculous. But, you know, guys that can put their ball in their hands and create Kale, Roden, Harris, Aiken, Richmond, that's depth. Backcourt depth can carry you in the NCAA tournament. So maybe this team puts it together. They build up, like you said, they sneak in or they kind of get, you know, they get in there, they get a couple favorable matchups and their backcourt leadership maybe turns this season in a different direction with some bigger upside. So a lot of, a lot of questions, but I mean, there's a lot of optimism and a lot of excitement due to unknown, but potential is there. You know, unfortunately, I think we spent a lot of this time sounding like we were really down on this team. But I'll tell you, I think this is going to be a fun team. I I don't know that the record will end up um, reflecting that. I think having Kadari at the point, if he's really throwing eye-popping passes, is going to be fun. I think my personally, I'm excited about seeing a fifth year out of Kale. You know, that, that just... You know, I, I've been that super fan of Kales forever, so I, I'm happy to see him again. I think Roden's going to take that next step, and I, I think this team is going to play a fun style. I, you know, I, I think it'll be, uh, I think it's going to be a fun little season. I mean, with, without belaboring a, too many more points, we, ba- we barely talked about Ike. That is seven-two monster in the middle, and we didn't even talk about him. I mean, this team has pieces. This team has talent. I just look it's like anything else. If you're a homer of a team and hey, what the heck we're, we're homers. I mean, we, we bleed blue, but we try to keep it a little more realistic on the podcast, but that's what happens leading up to a season is you want to get excited. So you're not going to sit there and go, well, if the pieces don't fit, this team could be seventh in the big East. No, no one wants to say that. Right. So Seton Hall has some upperclassmen. They have a lot of talent. They got a lot of individual talent. So a lot of people want to have fun and they're going to project them on the, higher side of the scale, which which you should do, but just temper expectations. The non-conference schedule that Kevin Willard put together, or maybe not even put together, they signed up for an MTE. They got the Gavit game. They got the Big 12 uh, Big East Challenge. You got the annual game at Rutgers. I don't know if Willard really put that together. I think he was kind of forced to play those games. But, But the point is, that is a monster non-conference schedule. I mean, go get me Steve Peichel's Rutgers non-conference schedule if you want me to slowly take the bike ride up the hill here, Tommy. I mean, give me Cupcake Central with everybody with an RPI of 300 plus, and we could build up to the 20-game Big East slate. But that's not the case. So there might be some early bumps in the road for this team, and I just would hate to see the fan base or the casual fan base. We always joke about the casual fan base have that casual fan base jump off the bandwagon and don't show up and pack the rock for those first three home games against St. John's Nova and UConn, because we need a packed rock for those games right out of the gate. So let's bring out that blue Mikey and 
for the first time this season. Let's say go Pirates. All right, Tommy, I'll do it. Go Big Blue. Thanks for joining another episode of Left Coast Pirates. Be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your other favorite listening platforms. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter with our handle at Coast Pirates. And don't miss out on any of our previous episodes that include interviews with Seton Hall legends, Danny Calandrillo, Mark Bryant, Andrew Gaze, Shaheen Holloway, and many others. For Tom Gaharski, I'm Mike Desiri, and you've been listening to Left Coast Pirates. Thank <laughs> you.